You're listening to Castle Rock First United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Castle Rock FUMC, you can go online at fumccr.org. Thank you, and have a good day. We pray with me. God, source of all light, by your word you give the light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be open to what it is you're saying to us on this day. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, verse 8. Hear these words. Taste and see how good the Lord is. The one who takes refuge in him is truly happy. Now I'm going to ask you guys to read that with me, okay? Let's read that again. Let's bring that up. Let's read it together. Taste and see how good the Lord is. The one who takes refuge in him is truly happy. This is the scripture of faith for the people of faith. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I'm going to do it again. You guys did such a good job the first week. I'm going to, I'm going to do it again and ask you to turn to your neighbor uh, or somebody fairly close to you. And I'm going to give you one minute to answer this question. What is your favorite Christmas food? I'm not going to lie. This is one of those things that a lot of preachers hate to do because it's always hard to get people to uh, come back in. Uh, but, you know, I think about me. One of the things that you know we're talking about in this season is, is the senses that come with the season. Last week we talked about uh, see. And we talked about what do we see, and, and I'm not gonna lie. Like this week, it seemed like I saw more Christmas lights and more things Christmas than than I had in a very long time. I, and I don't know if it was because I was trying to be intentional about it, or if um, my neighborhood just exploded from one week to the next, and just literally Christmas lights everywhere, and even uh, just traveling around, seeing all the different lights. I don't know. I, it's just one of those things I noticed. Uh, I, I noticed the sights of Christmas a little more this week. And, and this week we're going to talk about taste. And I know for me, when I think about taste in this time of year, there's always one thing that comes to mind. When I was in college, uh, anytime uh, I would get a care package from my grandpa or anytime I would visit my grandpa if I was going home for Christmas or going anywhere, uh, having to drive through Tulsa to get to, to my hometown from Oklahoma City, he would always, always without fail, give me a box of these. And I don't know how, like, how he had so many boxes of these, but like every time I would come and see him, he would give me these white fudge covered Oreos. I mean, every time for Christmas, for four years, that's what he did. Actually, even in seminary, he did it as well. And, and I'm not lying, like at first, I didn't really care for these. Uh, but yet I, I received them as a gift anyway, because they were something that, that I knew he was giving me out of love. And it was something that I knew that, um, you know, as a college student, I'm just going to eat them anyway because, well, I was a college student, didn't have the money to, to enjoy fancy things like chocolate-covered uh, or white fudge-covered Oreos. And, and every year at Christmas, when I see these come up, not only do I think of him, but I think about the times that we shared uh, during this season of when I would visit him as a, on my way home and, and, or on my way back to college and, or seminary, depending on the season. But every time I see these, I always, I'm always remembered of him. And it's the same thing with taste. We have those specific meals uh, and things that we like to have during the season. If you maybe heard Emily say that she loves Yorkshire pudding and, uh, during the children's moment. And it's something that Ashley's family, that's something they eat, they've 
as long as I know, uh, have known them for over 20 years. They, that's something that they eat for, for a meal uh, or for, as part of our Christmas meal. They do. I don't like the texture of it too much, and so I, I just pass on it. I make sure that there's other things on my plate uh, to, to suffice that. But food is one of those things that make us really like when we see it and we smell it and and like the TV ads perpetuate that Christmas is around the corner because, well, I mean, you know, you see those really good ads for honey baked hams and, 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 you know, in in Oklahoma, we know uh, that it's Christmas because Brahms introduces their eggnog and, and their Christmas flavors and, you know, like. It's, it's just a part of Christmas. I think sometimes we forget that taste is a part of that. And when we think back to the scriptures, we think back to that very first story. You know, Jesus would have had to eat when he was born. He didn't just come out full and, and ready. Mary had to nurse uh, Jesus at the very beginning. That's not something we see in scripture, but we know, like, if we've ever been around any kind of thing that has been birthed, we know that that's usually, like, within the first hour or two, that's the first thing they do is they eat. Have you ever thought about that, that baby Jesus would have had to eat? There's a reason why Mary put him down uh, right before, you know, if you know the other story that the little drummer boy came in and woke Jesus, baby Jesus up. That's not the real story, but it's one that's sometimes told. But she would have fed him. And, and, and I think that when we think about that, that's that, that, intimate, that intimate space that's shared in that is so uh, uh, special and so sacred that that. We remember that during this Christmas season when we come together and we share a meal together. It's the intimacy. You know, we look forward to those meals. I mean, I love for the Christmas season. It's one of my favorite seasons because there's like meals all the time that we can go to and be a part of. There's special events and all those things, and, and they're usually tied to food. They're, you know, especially if it's in the church, you can't do a good Methodist thing without having some kind of food available. Uh, I, I think it's written in the uh, Book of Discipline somewhere in the very fine print that you can't have a gathering without food. And I know for me, like, and you've heard me share this, like one of the reasons why I love the Christmas zebra cakes and actually zebra cakes in general is because it reminds me of what brought me to church, the Sunday school teacher that would bring them every time that they taught Sunday school. And to me, that reminded me of that, that, that safe space, that, that, that space where I was allowed to be me. And, and I joked that I was brought to the church not by good preaching, good music, or good people, but by zebra cakes. And I remember that all too well. There's, it's just something about food. And, and, and Matt Rawl, in his book this week, he reminds us that taste is a gift. Food doesn't have to taste good, but it does, and therefore a taste reminds us of grace. Have you ever had something so good that you're just like, oh, wow, that's so amazing. It's so good. I know there are a lot of meals that I, I feel that way. And, and I'm not lie, there's sometimes where I've experimented with things that I'm like, oh, no, I don't know how this is going to taste. And then it worked out really good. Uh, what, what started for me once was um, when I was uh, in Tahlequah, uh, I would smoke uh, bologna for the Wesley students during finals week. And so December and finals week, I would go to Walmart and load up a, a cart full of things for my bologna smoke. Really, it's not that hard to smoke bologna. It's actually one of the easiest things you can smoke. But uh, <laughs> but I looked really cool with all this. Like I looked like I was a master barbecue person with all these things. So two years into this uh barbecuing experience, I got this bright idea to make this uh, uh, casserole out of bologna. Now, here's the, here's the recipe. It's really simple. You cube the bologna, you throw it in a pan, you, you pour as much sauce as you want on it, at least above enough to, you know, cover the bologna, and let it smoke for like four hours. 
And it gets this nice glaze over the top of it that looks like every amazing church woman's uh, uh, casserole. And it tastes really good. And I'm not going to lie, my family eats that way better than they eat a loaf of bologna. And yet I always remember, like, at this time of year, I, I, the last couple of years, I've kind of had this loss of not doing the bologna smoke for the Wesley students. And I'll never forget when I made the first meal and the first, the first test casserole and, and told my associate about it. I was like, Shana, I got this really great idea. And, and I'm, not a, I'm a little bit nervous to try it uh, for the Wesley students because, you know, when we do food, it's a vulnerable thing. We want it to taste good. We want it to be amazing. And I don't want to give something that's not going to taste good to people. Well, people that I care for and love, maybe. But um, I was so nervous about sharing this. And, and so I shared one pain with her, and she called me and said that the pain was gone within 45 minutes. I was like, wow, I did something good today. And I'm not, I never consider myself a master chef. I am far from a cooker uh, that I know others are. I'm really good at throwing things in the crock pot and uh, smoking, uh, at least attempting to smoke things and putting things on the grill. That's about the extent of my uh, culinary expertise. I'm not allowed to bake in the house. Um, Ashley will tell you that when we were first married, I think it's the first year we were married, um, I did like the pre-made packaged cookies. And I still to this day don't know what happened. But all I remember is that there were cookies everywhere all over the kitchen after they came out of the oven. I don't know what I did. I don't remember. But in that kitchen that we were at at the time had a carpet floor. I don't know why they put a carpet floor in this kitchen. And so the house smelled like cookies for a very long time. Taste is a part of the season. Avery Gilbert, psychologist and fragrance scientist, wrote that cooking is much more than just preparing a meal. It's an invitation the savory notes of roasted meat and baked bread stimulate us en route to a meal. Have you ever been to a home and you walk in the home and you know they've been cooking all day because you can smell it? Like this time of year, it's really cool to, when you walk in and someone's like, oh, I've been baking all day and you can just smell it. And, and it just makes you like, oh, like I'm really ready for this meal. And you hope that you get to the meal uh, a lot faster than waiting forever. Like food is so important. It's important to the season. When we uh, think about food, I mean, in Christmas, they go hand in hand, don't they? You all have something that you look forward to at this time of year. I mean, I don't know about you, but those uh, Reese's Pieces uh, Christmas trees taste a little bit different than the Reese's Pieces uh, um, pumpkins or the eggs. I don't know why, but they just do. But what's your daily rhythm with food? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about your daily rhythm? Like, how do you go through food? Uh, how do you use food throughout your day? I know for me, uh, you know, one of the things that I have to have, I have to have a cup of coffee in the morning. I don't know when that started, but I know that, like, if I don't have a cup of coffee, uh, I, I feel a little different. Uh, and, and sometimes I need more than one cup of coffee to make it through the morning. But it's just one of the things I know that I start my day. Do you skip meals? Have you ever thought about, you know, how it affects your body? Or when you eat dinner. I know like in our house, we eat dinner a little bit early, and that's because we always have activities running and going. And so it's easy for us to eat uh, at an earlier time versus late at night when everybody's ready to go to bed. And when we think about this, we think that Mary had to deal with these same issues that we do with food and feeding baby Jesus, who then became toddler Jesus, and then teenage Jesus. I mean, could you imagine what it would like, be like to have to know that you're feeding uh, Jesus? There'd be a little pressure there. But 
Raw reminds us that we sing, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Because Mary offered Jesus his first meal, this vulnerability and intimacy of that moment just might have the power to bring creation to its knees in praise and thanksgiving. Some would even call it the first Eucharist, the first chance of a holy meal when Mary fed Jesus for that first time. Have you ever considered that? That Jesus' first meal would have come from Mary? In a really weird place, in a cave (laughs) that housed animals? (laughs) Could you imagine that? Uh, For those of you that have been in that space, uh, instead of a nice, comfortable hospital (laughs) and a room that probably didn't smell all that great, (laughs) but yet Jesus would have had his first meal. And it's a sense of vulnerability that we all can understand in some ways. Raw reminds us that cooking for someone is vulnerable and an intimate act that reminds me of the mystery of Christmas. I know when I think of food, uh, I think of food a lot. I love food. I'm not going to lie. I I love all things uh, that you can eat and You know, sometimes uh, having gone on uh, several mission trips uh, all over the country and even in a couple of places over the world, I'm reminded of a prayer that I was taught uh, by the VIM coordinator at the time in uh, Oklahoma. He said uh, in his story, he said he was in Russia and was given a plate that he did not know what the food was. And so he came up with this prayer. Lord, I'll put it down if you keep it down. And I'm not going to lie, I've had to use that prayer a couple of times. Uh, One memory that comes to mind is I was in the Philippines uh, with um, a group of students, and we were learning about uh, a uh, fishing village on an island. And we were uh, there to uh, have a great time. We learned a lot about the village and what they do. But I think one of the more powerful things is when they invited us to a meal. They spent about a week's worth of wages on this meal. And it was a meal fit for a king, in my opinion. But I'll never forget one of the students quickly coming to me and saying, Matt, 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 the fish has eyes. <laughs> okay. We still got to eat it. The eyes? No. But just get some fish. It'll be good. And I remember praying that prayer as we ate that fish in my head. Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll put it down if you keep it down. I remember also being in the Philippines after being there for over a week, actually over nine days, that every meal, every breakfast that we ate, wherever we were, had three things. Rice, um, hot dogs, like legitimate hot dogs, and beans in some way, shape, or form. We don't know why that was what we were receiving every time, but I'll never forget the first time that we got back, I I had a hot dog at a baseball game. And it took me back to that morning, those mornings of looking at the hot dog, wondering if I should eat this or not. But we have those memories of food. And and we share those importances of the season. And so, like, I want to encourage you that when you are there with others and friends and family as as you're breaking bread together, be reminded that you're sharing in a sacred moment in a space that, that can bring us together, even if the food is all, isn't all that great. Um, I know that I've had several family member foods that sometimes you just wondered what they were putting in there, but it was okay because you were together. And food can bring us together, just like one of the reasons why we celebrate the Eucharist, the, the Holy Communion, 
is it brings us closer together between not only God and us, but also our community, because we do it together. And every time I take communion, I'm remembered of that time when Jesus came to be with us. And it makes that connection to the past. We're all reminded us that breaking bread is more than just eating. It's a communion with each other. It's a way to remember the past. One of the reasons why I love meeting people at lunch or or for a meal is that we have sacred and holy conversations that we probably wouldn't have in any other places because we let our guards down. We become more open and more willing to, to talk. I love going to meals. I love eating meals. And I'm sure in some way, shape, or form you do too. So this week, I want to challenge you that as you sit down with your meals, however you do that, whether you're in the car on the go or you're sitting down uh, having a meal or a snack, remember that you're experiencing the sacred. You're experiencing a connection, not only to God, but to those who help prepare the meal and those that help serve the meal. And share love in a way that people will feel that experience. And people will know that we follow Jesus through the way that we love one another. And so I challenge you this week to love, but to enjoy a meal and listen to the sacred. Let us pray.